Well, good morning. I wanted to start off with a quote here. It says, it is not that we have so little time, but that we lose so much. The life we receive is not short, but we make it so. We are not ill provided, but use what we have wastefully. It is not that we have so little time, but that we lose so much. The life we receive is not short, but we make it so. We are not ill provided, but use what we have wastefully. Uh, this sounds like it could have been written yesterday, but it was actually written about 2,000 years ago uh, by a Roman uh, philosopher uh, in the first century. Uh, there are many that claim he may have had ties to the early church, um, that this person was in the uh, courts of Nero. Um, and yet it seems so applicable for today. When we think of the life that we've been given, we think of it as something that is very short. Um, but here on earth, it's the longest thing that we experience. Uh, there's nothing longer than our life here on earth to us. Uh, it's all that we really have in our time for service for the Lord. And it's not that we're not given enough, but it seems to be sometimes that we tend to use what we have been given in a wasteful way. And when we really think about the things that frustrate us in our spiritual life, uh, I think many of you would agree with me, is that we, we seem to waste so much time. Uh, it is really nothing for me to watch a baseball game on te television uh, for over three hours, uh, cheering my team on completely engaged. But to sit down and to read and pray for three hours is an entirely different story. Um, what I want to talk about this morning is, is purpose. Do we have a purpose in our life? Are we striving towards something? Is there, is there a goal that's set in our life that maybe we cannot achieve, but we're pursuing it? We're striving after it. And if you do have a goal, and you do know what it is, is it secular or is it spiritual? When you stand before the Lord, will he be pleased? Or will you see some disappointment? There's this sense that we all have lately, as we've heard much preaching from this pulpit, that we are part of a body, that the Lord has indeed saved us, that we've been born again, we've been given new life, and that the Lord didn't give us these things so that we can sit and be comfortable. He gave us these things so that we could be his hands and his feet. We could be his testimony here in the world. And the best place to show forth that is here in the local body. We've been given a position, we've been equipped, and we've been called, and we have full instruction of what to do and how to do it. To encourage one another that the church would be a mature man, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And yet it seems that we've had so much preaching on lately because uh, that's not what we're doing. <laughs> it seems to be something that the, the Lord keeps reminding us and, and that the Lord is in fact looking for something to take place. Uh, this isn't something that we just continue to do until he comes. Uh, there is something, a change that he expects to occur. And we're going to see a man in the Old Testament. We're going to look at him and probably uh, one you wouldn't think of immediately. Um, but I'm rooting that uh, if we have another son, that uh, 
his name will be in the running, though I doubt it uh, when you hear it. But one of the things that we see was that in order to have a, a spiritual purpose and to be striving towards it, it takes preparation. And for that preparation to actually take place, uh, it takes a certain person, a certain character. Uh, there are a lot of people that have lofty goals and lofty ideas, but that don't have a work ethic or a character that allows them to achieve these things. Uh, we're going to look at a man from his person to his preparation to his purpose that was able to achieve great things, and uh, we're going to look at the, God's provision in his life. And then tonight we're going to continue to look at the fact that uh, it wasn't so easy for him as we might think it was. So if you could open your Bibles to Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7. And all the moms are thinking there's no way he's naming his next son Ezra. That's just not going to happen. So some time ago we started this journey with the uh, children of Israel and their return from captivity. We saw that uh, there was uh, 50,000 people under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest, that came back to the land. They rebuilt the temple. Uh, there was a time of, of complacency. We see Zechariah and Haggai stirred up as prophets of God to encourage the people, and that the people finished the building of the temple uh, five years after that. Uh, so now that the temple was completed, uh, Ezra chapter 6 records the, the, the dedication of that temple and the Passover that was remembered. Um, Ezra chapter 7 starts, now after these things, is the first words. Um, what that encompasses is really a 60-year gap between the dedication of that temple and when, when Ezra is picking up here. And in that 60-year gap, all the events that we have in the book of Esther have taken place. Um, so the book of Esther takes place back in uh, Persia uh, under all the things that are going on. That's about 20 years before this takes place, 20 to 30 years before this. So just to give you guys an idea of uh, the, the chronology uh, as we begin here, because uh, if you read it straight through, it kind of seems like, oh, you know, everything's great, and then Ezra picks right back up. Um, but what we see in these 60 years is this great period of, of backsliding that has occurred and, uh, and a lack of leadership that has taken place. And Ezra is coming to restore these things. Uh, the reason why Ezra, I feel, is, is the most relatable, applicable character in the Old Testament is Ezra wasn't a king. Uh, Ezra wasn't a prophet. Uh, Ezra didn't build anything like Nehemiah or Zerubbabel. Uh, he doesn't have a work in the same sense that so many Old Testament figures do. Uh, they were either kings, they were prophets, uh, they were responsible for building something, for fighting in wars, uh, certain things like that. Ezra is none of those things. Ezra is a priest, and we're going to see his, his lineage here, but that's it. Um, one of the things that's interesting is that in order to discern the will of God at the time, they would have either went to a prophet, they would have taken orders from the king, um, or the, the, the priest would have had the Urim and the Thummim, and they would have seek guidance that way, and who knows what the Urim and the Thummim actually did, but there was a way to discern the will of God. Um, it seems that they didn't remember quite how to use that after they were taken into captivity. And so Ezra, all Ezra has is the scripture. And he is going to discern the character and will of God in the same way that we do 
looking to the scriptures, figuring out who God is, what God's like, what God desires, what God dislikes. And he's going to live his life in those terms. Uh, so I believe that Ezra, in, in his situation, uh, he came from, like I say, a priestly, a priestly birth, uh, the same way we have been born again as priests unto God. And when we want to know God's will and God's character, we look to the scriptures in the same way Ezra did. So we're going to begin, we're going to read the first ten verses of Ezra, and we're going to look at this man. And I hope by the end of today, um, he'll be one of your top Old Testament figures as well. Now after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sarai, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Marioth, the son of Zerahiah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki, the son of Abishua, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. Uh, I always joke when reading through a genealogy, there's one rule that I try to keep, and it's not to have a passage with a lot of names that I don't know how to pronounce. Um, and this is one of those passages, and I suffer through it because I believe it is important. Um, there are a lot of names that are dropped in this portion, a lot of names that can be traced throughout the, the history of the people. Uh, the first one, Sariah, would have been the high priest when Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed everything. Nebuchadnezzar would have murdered him. Uh, he would have been killed. So that would have been one. Uh, Hilkiah. Uh, was the high priest under Josiah. Uh, so when that great revival under Josiah took place, Hilkiah was the one that found uh, the law of the Lord and, and was a part of leading the people uh, through that revival. Another name that might jump out to you is Phineas. Uh, Phineas was a man in uh, the Old Testament in Numbers that when the people had sinned and gone and married heathen women under the uh, really the, the trickery of a man Balaam, uh, who was able to convince Balak to send the women to the children of Israel to intermarry and to mingle with them, uh, carried a lot of people away to, to worship other gods. And in that process, Phineas, in order to stop the judgment of God, uh, there was two people, uh, a man and a, a Moabite, or I think it might have been a Midianite woman at the time. She was, they were taken in in front of everybody, just like blatant... Uh, sin in front of the entire camp and Phineas goes in with the javelin and he spears them both and it says that the, the hand of God was stayed because of Phineas and God even makes a special covenant with Phineas. Uh, so there are some significant people in, in Ezra's lineage but that doesn't really help Ezra other than the fact that it gives him opportunity. If we're relying on who our parents were and who our grandparents were and all the things that they had done in the past, uh, it, it amazes me conversations that I have with people that uh, most, for the most part, I believe, are, are lost people. Um, either I'm holding the scripture or I'm reading the scripture somewhere and we get to talking and they tell me, oh, you know, my, my grandfather was a, a minister in, in some church. That's great for him. What, is, what does that do for you? Uh, but it's often funny how all of a sudden people will tie back some sense of spirituality to someone else that's not themselves, uh, trying to shift it. Like, you know, I come from uh, a spiritual background, but I'm not spiritual myself in a sense. 
what Ezra is doing here is he is uh, putting forth his, his lineage that it gives him the right to function as a, as a priest. Um, we would assume that the high priestly line had gone through somebody else when we see uh, the first return, the man Joshua, that's the high priest. He has a father that's Josedek, and that seems to be the line that it follows. Uh, so Ezra may not have been in the, the, the priestly line at the point in time to serve as high priest, but he wouldn't have been able to function as a priest. So this Ezra, in verse 6, it says, This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given and the king granted him all his request according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. And there went up some of the children of Israel and of the priests and the Levites and the singers and the porters and the Nethanim unto Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king. And he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For upon the first day of the month, of the first month, began he to go up from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month, came he to go to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. This Ezra, it says, was a ready scribe, uh, a skilled scribe, someone that was quick. Uh, and when we think of a scribe, uh, the way it would work is that you would have a scroll that's wearing out and they would need a new scroll to be written and they would have these men that were scribes and a person, uh, a priest perhaps, would be reading this scroll and there would be scribes that would be copying new ones down. They were very diligent in continuing to copy down these scrolls. So you can imagine after many times writing down, hearing it and writing it down, hearing it and writing it down, uh, this man probably would have known the word of God fairly well, uh, better than probably any of us here, uh, that that was his, his job. And it seems that his job also was in some form in the king's courts where he would have been writing down things that the king requested as well and copying documentation. He, he seemed to have pretty good favor uh, with this king Artaxerxes. So what's interesting is that this man came from the right lineage and he was already recognized as a skilled scribe. Uh, he was someone that they could go to for information on the law of God, someone that they could ask, what does God's word say? And I would ask you all this morning, are you that type of person? Are you that type of person in your circles that when someone has a question, they say, well, well go ask Desmond. Go ask Desmond. Desmond. Desmond will know. He knows the Bible. Or when someone has a question, they, they, they flounder about and then they end up looking on the internet because they're looking for some source of information. We see that even though Ezra was a skilled scribe, that he was a ready scribe, it doesn't end there. Ezra was going to have a greater purpose than just knowing the law for himself. He had a purpose beyond himself. And I would ask you, as you think of your own purpose this morning, is your purpose self-centered? Or is it others-centered? Are we trying to achieve something for ourselves? Are we trying to achieve something that will benefit the body here? What's interesting is that 
we're going to see this phrase quite a bit in, in Ezra. Uh, we see it three times in, in this chapter alone. But it talks about uh, the king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. There were things that were taking place in Ezra's life that really are unimaginable. Um, to have this kind of, of relationship and authority given as we're going to Lord willing, get into this, this letter that this king wrote for, for Ezra when he returned back home. Uh, the, the sweeping uh, freedom that Ezra would have had uh, is, is really unimaginable for us today. And what's interesting with Ezra, Ezra attributes everything to the hand of God being upon him. And in our own lives, as we're striving for this purpose, this calling that we have in Christ, do we see moments in our life where we know God's hand was upon me in, in a special way that is undeniable. Ezra was able to identify many times. He sees it constantly. So Ezra's making this trip back, and in verse 7 it says, There went up some of the children of Israel and of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the porters, and the Nethanim unto Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. So, for upon the first day of the first month began he to go up from Babylon. On the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem, according to the good hand of his God upon him. We have it again. This idea that uh, we, we read this in these verses, and it says, you know, okay, he, he had a four-month journey. Um, we're going to get into the next chapter. We're going to see who was in that journey. There was about 1,500 men. Uh, there were women and children. Estimates are somewhere between five and 7,000 people. Now, when Zerubbabel and Joshua led the people back, there was 50,000. And that was a small remnant of the people that were returning. Ezra was taking part of a return that was a tenth of what his predecessors were able to achieve. So are we trying to achieve a work that's big on a worldly numbers scale? Or are we trying to achieve a purpose in our life that is what God has given us to do? Because Ezra is going to get just as much reward in heaven for faithfully leading these 5,000 people, just as Zerubbabel who led 50,000. Uh, those rewards are going to be equal. It's not going to be a, a difference in God's judgment because they were faithful. So what we have here, it's, it's interesting. This four-month journey... Uh, Eight to nine hundred miles uh, through the desert uh, with women and children, and we're going to see they're loaded up with treasure. Um, not ideal, not, not exactly something that we would all be uh, gung-ho and ready to go on looking forward to the, this trip. But it records it in, in a simple terms to show that God's hand was upon them. And now we're going to look at Ezra in verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgment. This tells us a lot about uh, Ezra's character. Ezra, like we said, priestly line, ready scribe. Even though he was skilled, he made it his purpose to seek after the law of the Lord, to know the law of the Lord. Now, there are many of us here that are familiar with the scripture. Somewhat. We're familiar. We, we, we know where the books are. Uh, we know where the key verses are. 
Um, we can tell you the general history of, of, of the scripture and the children of Israel up to the Lord and uh, the apostles and the work of the church after. We can kind of give you the basics. Ezra was a man that probably had most of it memorized and was still pursuing after it. Could you imagine talking to a person that had basically this Bible memorized and that person to be like this humble person that was continuing to study and to seek the truth of Scripture? It would be a very humbling experience. This man, Ezra, didn't do it so he could be propped up. The, the first reason he did it is that so he could obey it. And it seems that this man was given so much knowledge because he was obedient to the word of God. So I'd ask you this morning, when considering your purpose, when considering the knowledge that you have, that you have been given, are you obedient to it? Do you have times in your life when you're about to do something and all of a sudden the spirit gets a hold of you and you realize, the Bible says I can't do it, so I'm not going to do it. And you walk away. Or do you say, the Bible says I can't do it, but if I pray and ask for forgiveness, he'll forgive me, so I'm just going to do it this one time and then repent, and then you know, hopefully I won't do it again. And I'm not saying he won't forgive you. What I'm trying to do is we're trying to check our attitude this morning. We're trying to check our attitude with the things that we've been entrusted with. Are we being faithful? Uh, God has given me a wife. God has given me two children. There are certain things that it's required in me as a father to be diligent in raising them and in loving my wife. I all the time have to check myself and ask the Lord, am I, am I doing okay? Is there, is there, what else could I be doing? What is it that you're trying to teach me? How, how are you trying to mold me? And I want to just encourage you all that it, it's the same in the body here. You've each been given a special gift to function in the body, a special purpose that only you can really achieve to the fullness of God's glory. And if you're faithful, what we all get to witness is God's hand upon us, working amongst us. That's, that's the goal. That's what we all want to see. And if, and if we were all here and we were all in one mind, we would say, do we all want to see that? We would say, yes, you know, that's exactly what we want. Well, it's going to take preparation, and it's going to take this purpose, desire. You've you, you got to want it. It's not something that just happens. Uh, Ezra, Ezra didn't just, you know, know the word of God and then, uh, okay, I, now I just automatically do it. Ezra had to make it his purpose in life to not only know it, but to do it. And so I would encourage you all this morning just to, to have a moment of time alone with the Lord and to just ask him honestly, Lord, could you put your finger on the thing that, that you know I'm maybe not being obedient to you in? For me, sometimes it's loving my wife. And there are times when um, we're in a hurry and, and we're trying to get the kids in the car and we're running late and all of a sudden my tone of voice changes. I don't know what happens. The, the tone of voice changes. 
the temperature rises and all of a sudden I find that I'm, I'm not yelling, but speaking loudly in a tone that is undesirable. Those are the moments where it's like, that's not loving my wife, where it's obvious. And then I have a choice. I can either blame the situation, uh, blame the circumstances of what's going on, or I can just look at her and say, you know what, I'm sorry. That's, that's inappropriate, and I know I raised my voice, and I'm, I'm, I'm working on that. And I am. I'm trying. I'm working on that. It's not, it's not easy. But that's my purpose. My purpose is one day for me to love my wife like the Lord loves the church. I ain't going to get there in a year. I ain't going to get there probably in 10 years. But that's my purpose in life. Okay? It's my purpose in life that in any way the Lord would have me, I would encourage each one of you to live full out for the Lord. That's what I want. That's, that's what I want to happen. That's not going to happen by me being uh, a poor character and a poor testimony out in the world. It's only going to happen by preparation and obedience to the word of God. It doesn't happen any other way. What's interesting here is that Ezra had this desire to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Um, we're going to see the condition of, of the children of Israel tonight in, in the next chapter. Um, but I would think if we were able to talk to Ezra and get a little uh, insight here, uh, we would ask, you know, were you as prepared as you had hoped to be when you got there and you found out what was really going on? Because right now he doesn't really know all that's going on there. He just knows there's been a, a time of backsliding, uh, that, that there's, there's nothing, no real power taking place. And he knows that the reason for that is because the people aren't being obedient to the scripture. And so his desire is to be an example first and then to be a teacher second. Uh, and that should be our same desire. Uh, as a father, I want to be an example first to my sons and then a teacher to them. I don't want them to say, you know, uh, you know like some of us may have in the past where, uh, well, dad says to do this, but you notice he never does it um, type thing. I want to make sure that, like say, example first, teacher second. So one of the things that we'll see here is that as much preparation as Ezra put in, uh, it was still a test when he got there. There was still difficulty when he got there. But this is the character of this man, Ezra. Uh, you may think that all you have is, is this book here, but Ezra is actually credited with writing First uh, and Second Chronicles uh, by many scholars, uh, organizing the Old Testament's canon uh, as we know it today. Uh, we, we attribute that to this person, Ezra, and um, really being the one that didn't build, didn't lead as a king, but led as a spiritual leader to the people of Israel at this time. So this, this is the focus. Uh, that there's a lot we can take from this man. We're going to read through the rest of this uh, chapter. It accounts uh, this, this letter that Artaxerxes wrote uh, in favor of Ezra and the people returning. Verse 11, it says, Now this is the copy of the letter that the king Artaxerxes gave unto Ezra the priest, the scribe, even a scribe of the words of the commandments of the Lord, and of his statutes to Israel, Artaxerxes, king of kings, unto Ezra the priest, a scribe of the law of the God of heaven, perfect peace, and at such a time I make a decree that all they of the people of Israel and of his priests and Levites in my realm, which are minded of their own free will to go up to Jerusalem, go with thee. 
For as much as thou art sent of the king and of his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of thy God which is in thine hand, and to carry the silver and gold which the king and his counselors have freely offered unto the God of Israel whose habitations is in Jerusalem, and all the silver and gold that thou canst find in all the province of Babylon with the freewill offering of the people and of the priests offering willingly for the house of their God which is in Jerusalem, that thou mayest buy speedily with this money bullocks, rams, lambs, with their meat offerings and their drink offerings, and offer them upon the altar of the house of your God, which is in Jerusalem. And whatsoever shall seem good to thee and to thy brethren to do with the rest of the silver and the gold, and do after the will of your God. The vessels also that are given thee for the service of the house of thy God, those deliver thou before the God of Jerusalem. And whatsoever more shall be needful for the house of thy God, which thou shalt have occasion to bestow, bestow it out of the king's treasure house. And I, even I, Artaxerxes the king, do make a decree to all the treasures which are beyond the river that whatsoever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, shall require of you, it be done speedily. Unto a hundred talents of silver, and to a hundred measures of wheat, and to a hundred baths of wine, and to a hundred baths of oil, and salt, without prescribing how much. Whatsoever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it be diligently done for the house of the God of heaven. For why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? Also we certify you that touching any of the priests and Levites, singers, porters, Nethanim, or ministers of the house of God, it shall not be lawful to impose toll, tribute, or custom upon them. And now Ezra, after the wisdom of thy God, that is in thine hand set magistrates and judges, which may judge all the people that are beyond the river, all such as know the laws of thy God, and teach ye them that know them not. And whosoever will not do the law of thy God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed speedily upon him, whether it be unto death, or to banishment, or to confiscation of goods, or to imprisonment. So this is the letter that Ezra has. And uh, as you read through it, uh, the, like I say, the, the magnitude continues to, to grow of all the things that, that the king gave Ezra the authority to do. Uh, this letter would have allowed him to uh, let all those that worked in the house of God go tax-free. They don't pay any taxes. Um, it would have allowed at any point in time for the service of, of temple worship to go and to ask of the governors of these different lands for money to purchase bullocks and rams and all of these things. It would also have allowed him to raise up judges and magistrates in the surrounding areas that knew the law of God. And they would have been able to execute justice the way the law of God prescribed it, uh, something that we do not see uh, in other kingdoms later on uh, under uh, the time when the Lord is, is, is here in, in Jerusalem the Jews do not have the authority to execute their judgments upon people. They do not have the authority uh, to, to condemn people to death. Uh, Ezra was given authority that if it was right in, in the word of God to uh, execute someone, that they had the right to do it. Um, this was something that, like I say, we, we really can't imagine from a heathen king. Now, uh, knowing the, the scripture, under Esther, we remember uh, Ahasuerus, the king of Persia before, uh, would have probably been uh, his father. 
uh, Artaxerxes. Uh, well, you would have a Hazarus Xerxes and Artaxerxes, so there would have been this reign here. So grandfather of sorts. What's interesting is everything that, 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 that's played out that takes place, you can easily see the hand of God in all of this. It's, it's undeniable, the fact that all these provisions, uh, all this opportunity was given to this man, Ezra. And the one thing you notice, it's one thing to read what someone may record of themselves. It's another thing to, to hear and to read what someone else says of a person. And here we have example of what a king thought of this man, Ezra, a scribe of the law of the God of heaven. He says it twice. And he basically says, I trust Ezra completely. So whatever this man requires of you, just give it to him. Because if you come and ask me, um, there's going to be problems. Just, just give it to him. He, he has that type of authority, and I'm giving it to him in these decrees. One of the things that also comes up uh, is this. Uh, Ezra isn't going to be one that holds this authority over people we're going to see in Ezra a person that is willing to submit himself to the authority that's above him and then to humble himself below the people in order for them to be exalted. Uh, he's not one that beats people down. He's going to be one that, that builds people up. So this is what Ezra's been given. Uh, a copy of a letter to go back to take whoever is willing. And w the interesting thing is I, I want you to consider... Um, this is a, a, a free offer to all the children of Israel that are still in Babylon to go back to Jerusalem to obey the word of God and to remember him there. Sixty years had taken place since they had finished the temple. Eighty years had taken place since the first wave of children of Israel had returned. So I want you to think of the condition of the United States 60 years ago. What did the United States look like 80 years ago? What did the United States look like? Uh, we can get a, a little bit of an idea of maybe how far uh, backslidden the people had become, how comfortable they had become in Babylon, um, that so few would return. This morning, a call is going out to take up your purpose as a believer, to take up your calling and to fulfill it. And in order to fulfill it, you, you have to pursue it. You have to be prepared for it. It's a free will call. Nobody's going to force you to do anything here. In the same way, it was a free will call for these people to come back. There were only a few that came back. Let's see if we can respond to the call in a way that is greater than, than the numbers that returned. We're going to finish with this in 27 and 28. Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, which hath put such a thing as this in the king's heart, to beautify the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem, and hath extended mercy unto me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes. And I was strengthened as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me. And I gathered together out of Israel chief men to go up with me. Let's close in prayer. 
Our Heavenly Father, we do thank Thee for uh, this man, Ezra, that we have account of. We do thank Thee for just the, the testimony uh, that he represents, a testimony of, of a skilled scribe that uh, prepared his heart uh, to seek the law uh, of the Lord, to know it, uh, to do it, and to teach it. And Father, we pray that we would have in our hearts uh, the same, uh, that we would have in our hearts this, this purpose to uh, live out this calling that uh, we've been called to, to be an example uh, a picture of Christ here. We've been called to love one another. We've been called to good works. We've been called to so many things, Father, and, and thinking of our life and, and the time that has been wasted, uh, we pray that we would waste it no longer. So we do ask for your help, Father, for we know that it cannot be done in our own strength. Uh, we're here this morning to ask it from you because we know that uh, without you we achieve nothing. Uh, so we humble ourselves this morning and, um, Father, really like beggars, just uh, completely dependent on your kindness, um, we ask that you would give us strength. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.